Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey, real quick, as we get started with today's episode, you'll no doubt have noticed the title uh, has to do with California NIM. Congratulations to everyone who worked hard on helping defeat AB 1139. If you have no idea what that is, then you're going to hear more about it in today's episode. Now, at the time of recording this episode with Dave, there were essentially two different sort of battle places, battlegrounds or, or battlefronts in California rooftop solar where the attack on rooftop solar rights was happening. One at the California Public Utility Commission, otherwise called the CPUC, the other at the legislature through what's known as AB 1139. Now, since recording, the Save California Solar campaign has successfully defeated AB 1139. Bravo! Now, we're down to only one battlefield, and that is with the California Public Utility Commission. The conversation with Dave is as pressing and urgent as ever. We still have a massive uphill fight ahead of us, so now's no time to rest on our laurels. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Dave. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, all right. Welcome back, Solar Warrior. Welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice building your solar career or business. Question, are the monopoly utilities attacking yours and my individual rights to make energy from the sun, power your life, and become more financially independent? If you're in California, the answer may be yes. Today, we'll find out in this special report from Dave Rosenfeld, the executive director of the Solar Rights Alliance, what you need to know to be informed on the net energy metering practices currently under siege in the state of California, what it could mean for those of us in other states around the United States and perhaps uh, in other places around the world as well. I'm really, really excited that you've decided to join us yet again to level up your game. Remember, you can find more resources just like this and learn more about today's guests and the recommendations that you hear if you go to our blog at mysuncast.com and click on the show notes tab. Hey, while you're there, please subscribe to the show. You could also do that right inside the podcast player platform that you're listening on. And you could jump over to our YouTube channel so you could watch this conversation I'm having with Dave in whatever edited form it shows up there as well. Uh, watch our phenomenal guests and our live streams. You can also enjoy replays of our many live events. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful, insightful, and timely conversation on Suncast. Well, when I reached out recently to our friend Bernadette Del Chiaro, who runs the California Solar and Storage Alliance, about how I could get smarter on what's happening with net energy metering in California, she responded immediately and connected me with this guy, Dave Rosenfeld, who runs the Solar Rights Alliance. We're going to learn more about that today and how Dave uh, is helping champion our rights as solar clients and uh, solar warriors out in the state of California. Dave, welcome to Suncast. Thanks very much for having me here, Nico. Pleasure to have you on. Dave, would you give us a quick overview of what the Solar Rights Alliance is 
and how you particularly get the privilege of uh, sort of standing up for our rights in the state of California. Yeah, well, it is indeed a privilege. The Solar Rights Alliance is the nonprofit association of California solar users. We believe everyone has the right to make energy from the sun without unreasonable interference by the utility. We keep track of what the politicians and the regulators and the utilities are up to. And then we alert the public when there's a threat to their solar investment, or there's a threat to more people being able to get solar, or an opportunity to expand solar for millions more people. And like you said, we started three years ago because it was about three years ago that California almost it was about to cross the 1 million solar rooftop mark. And we realized it was time to start bringing those voices together, the early adopters, the people who got some skin in the game, and make sure that we don't let the utilities kill this incredible growing technology. You know, Dave, uh, I got to be honest with you. From my sort of telescopic view of the California market from way over here in North Carolina and as a South Carolina native, sometimes it seems like Californians are a little bit kind of chicken little. The sky is falling when the rest of us would just love for you know, some of the delicacies on the table that has been set to you to fall as table scraps to the floor for us in terms of policies. You've got, you've got all these aggressive policies by, by a liberal institution uh, at, a, at a, you know, Capitol Hill that seem to create a tailwind for every renewable or, or climate tech focused business in California. And the rest of us are struggling to make ends meet. So when I hear that there's this sort of NIM crisis, I don't know what to make of it. Can you help me understand what I'm missing about the narrative here in California, where things seem to be great, but somehow they're not? Absolutely. And it makes sense that this is your perspective, right? I mean, in the United States, there are 2 million solar rooftops. Half of them are in California. And so we, we are literally half the market. And that didn't happen overnight. It took us 15 years to grow this market. 15 years ago, on the dawn of the solar revolution in California, when Governor Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, put in the Million Solar Roofs Initiative, you know, nobody thought that we could get to 1 million solar rooftops in such a short period of time, but we did. And it was a lot of hard work, but there were real policies, like you said, you know, delicacies put on the table that allowed this market to grow. And so here we are, half the U.S. market, and you're looking from across the country and going, you know, how could there possibly be a problem here? Here's the best way to understand it. This is the empire strikes back. Back 15 years ago, we were like a little flea on the back of a dog, the dog being the utilities. I don't think they really they thought that we could actually grow this into a real market, that people would really go for it. And now all of a sudden, here we are, where there's a million solar rooftops. Every year, more and more working class and middle class neighborhoods and even really, really low income people are getting access to rooftop solar. This is just the beginning. Like we are on the cusp of millions of people being able to get this technology. And every single time somebody does it, it's excellent for the greater good and it cuts into utility profits and they want to kill it before it gets to the next level. And if they do it here, if they do it here, we are the leaders, as you've said. And if they succeed, and there's a very good chance that they might, if we don't do this right, then everywhere else in the country, you will never get to the promised land because everybody is going to follow California's lead. And what they're doing is very sneaky. It's very clever. It's rolling a lot of people. And so that's what's going on here. It is purely the empire strikes back, trying to kill something before it gets to the next level and truly spreads like wildfire across both our state and all over the country. Uh, I get it. But let me let me ask something as else that I've recently become aware of, thanks to conversations with you and others around the narrative. When we have this them and us, like it's the the utilities. Let's be clear. The conversation here is that the empire that is striking back is the empire of ancient 
uh, or rather uh, traditional energy business, which is the, the publicly owned, uh, in many ways, monopoly utilities. Mm-hmm. Help me understand what cost shift means. This is the lie. This is the mm-hmm. utility lie. It's, it's, I'll even call it, it is the utility profit grab lie. So when you hear cost shift, most of the time, it's propaganda. There is a policy conversation to be had about it, but that's only if you're with serious people talking in good faith, and that's not what's going on here in the public debate. I want to be really, really clear. So it is a lie invented by utilities, cooked up using completely false math to make it seem like rooftop solar is responsible for rising electricity rates and that net metering is the driver for that. That's what that is. It's an argument of, of sort of oversubsidized solar in some way. That you solar users, you've taken your ball and you've gone home, you're not paying your fair share of the grid. And then on top of that, we're subsidizing you with this net metering thing. That's not fair. And that's why electricity rates are going up. And hey, we're the utility. We care about equity and this is not equitable and we got to do something about it. You know, that's the, that's the utility cost shift line. And, it, and I'd love to unpack it. So Dave, let's try to unpack this. Like this onion, I said, has many layers. Let's start with what are the utilities actually proposing? How are they defending what they're proposing and as such attacking solar? Right. So let's just understand the big picture first, okay? So we're looking at California, some of the highest energy bills in the country, wildfires, you know, ripping across the state, many of which are sparked by PG&E and other utilities, right? Blackouts now every single year, you know, planned blackouts. We have to shut down these long distance power lines in order to prevent wildfires, right? Like just this is the state of play in California, all right? The root cause of all of those things is the spider web of long distance power lines that cross the state, okay? That's what drives up electricity bills. That's what sparks wildfires. And that's what's going down and causing blackouts. And the thing to understand is that's how the utilities make their profit. Every dollar they spend building and maintaining poles and wires, they get a guaranteed rate of return um, of like 8 to 10%. So the more that you spend on power lines, the more profit go into the hands of the executives and the shareholders of PG&E, Sempra, et cetera. And this year alone, ratepayers are going to pay $9 billion in power lines and wildfire mitigation and the, and the profit margin that's all baked into that. Okay. Rooftop solar. Every time somebody puts solar on the rooftop, they reduce the need to maintain and spend more money on long distance power lines because all that energy stays local. And not only that, when they make extra energy and share it with the neighbors and those neighbors reduce wear and tear on the long distance power lines and reduce the need to build more. And that is a knife right at the heart of PG&E's profits. Now, they can't say that because obviously they can't make in a political argument saying, oh, please give us more profit. So what they've done is they got to figure out a way to kill rooftop solar. So what they've done is they've, t- they've turned the whole thing on its head. They've taken this thing that is actually the most awesome thing we've ever come up with to give working class and middle class people a break to reduce those energy bills and get some more control over their household budget. And they've made that the villain and said, that's why electricity bills are going up. And this is the problem. This is inequitable. And if you repeat a lie often enough, you know how it can start to become true. And if you're PG&E or SEMPRA, um, and you've got bajillions of dollars, ratepayer dollars that you get to use, you get to spend it on politics, you get to shower politicians with cash, you got jillions of lobbyists 
you can spend lots of money on ads. That's what they've been doing, and they've been doing it for about a decade, and it's starting to sink in with otherwise serious people. And so here, here we are today. I'd like to take a, se- a second here and just key in on what you just said. Otherwise, well-informed people are beginning to believe what you've referred to as the lie from the utility. So let's just restate clearly the problem and why it looks like it's getting traction. Yeah. The utility lie is that rooftop solar is the reason why electricity bills are going up for non-solar users. That, that essentially it is shifting costs of the grid onto the people that don't have solar. That is the utility lie. It's utter nonsense, but it gets traction because utilities repeat it over and over and over again. They back it up with campaign contributions galore to both Democrats and Republicans. They surround both the lawmakers and the regulators with armies of lobbyists. They have a revolving door of lobbyists. So the vice president for government affairs for SoCal Edison was a former CPUC regulator at the California Public Utilities Commission, literally just left the CPUC. They put their staff into positions with consulting firms that do the reports for the regulators. And they just create essentially an echo chamber, even in academia, of people who all basically use their methodology, their philosophy, their basic outlook. And if you just do that over and over again, consistently enough and put enough money behind it, then that's how they've been able to infect a good portion of California's government with this idea that somehow rooftop solar is a problem. And this is so different than where it was 15 years ago under Governor Schwarzenegger's leadership. So they've done a great job taking this incredible decision that the state made that built this incredible market um, and have now taken, you know, it's a, a good chunk of California's political leadership and has gotten them completely now thinking, oh, we need to reverse course. Where's the fallacy in this argument? So the biggest thing to understand is first, what actually, why are California's paying out of their noses for energy costs? And it is long distance power lines. And this has been quantified by the California Public Utilities Commission. This is the primary thing driving it. Long distance power lines are, as I said before, the way that they make their money, utilities, and spending on long distance power lines has skyrocketed in the last 20 years. In just the last nine years alone, spending on power lines has gone up almost 40%. In PG&E territory, it's gone up almost 60%. And on top of that, we have to pay for now what's called wildfire mitigation, which is just another way of maintaining the power lines. And so as I was saying, this year alone, ratepayers are going to get slapped with $9 billion um, in long-distance power line costs. That's what's, what's going on here. In contrast, so here's where to get to the fallacy, rooftop solar is the one thing that's actually reducing the need to have to spend so much money on long-distance power lines because it's local energy. And so, in fact, in 2018 alone, because of rooftop solar and also because of energy efficiency, two combined, the state's grid operators canceled or scaled back 20 massive long-distance transmission line projects and saved $2.6 billion in power line spending in 2018 alone because of rooftop solar and because of energy efficiency. Chris Clack, a national researcher formerly of NOAA, um, just did a new set of modeling that really takes a look at long-distance power lines and found that nationally, 
if America really invests in maximizing rooftop solar, really uses those rooftops, we can avoid so much spending on long-distance power lines across the country that Americans will end up saving almost $500 billion in their electricity bills than if we don't do that. So this is real money that rooftop solar actually saves. But like I said before, that's exactly how the utilities make their money. And so they have to come up with some way to attack rooftop solar. And so what they've done is just invented a lie that's like where the truth is literally the opposite. If we extrapolate this out, the learning, the $2.6 billion in spending savings, essentially, from 2018 alone in, I think, PG&E territory in California. If we extrapolate this out, then nationally we could save a half a trillion dollars in electricity bills simply by deploying rooftop solar and avoiding unnecessary infrastructure spending. That, that's absolutely right. Yeah. And rem- just to be clear, I think this will be important for your listeners. We need large-scale solar. We need large-scale wind. And we are going to have to make pretty big investments in our transmission and distribution system. So I want to really, really be clear. That stuff, we need it. It's good. We need utilities to manage that stuff. So there's, there's no inherent problem with having to spend the money doing it. It's just to say um, rooftop solar is a critical strategy that allows us to spend less on that stuff to the benefit of everybody. And then that's before we start talking about resilience, the speed with which we can get clean energy on the grid, the ability to give individual consumers a way to control their energy bills and share it with their neighbors, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying, if we're going to do a big build out, like what the Biden administration wants, um, which we should, to switch and convert to clean energy, and we're going to need lots of solar farms and wind farms and a transmission and distribution system that connects it all together and utilities to run it, wouldn't you want to do also the one thing that'll keep those costs as low as possible for the greater good and empowers consumers and communities? Of course. The only people who don't have a self-interest in seeing that through are the utilities who make right now, right now they make their profit building more long-distance power lines. That is the crux of it. And it is when you go under the hood and you try to understand what is driving all of this, that's it. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Did you ever think, man, I wish I could just text Nico. I have a question for him. Hey, Nico, where is your favorite Thai restaurant in Durham? Hey, Nico, what are the flight prices to Mexico City right now? Hey, Nico, where are you going to be staying in New Orleans this year for North America Smart Energy Week? If any of those questions have occurred to you or some other thing that you'd like to chat with me about, why don't you text me at 310-634-1780. I'm running a little test to see if I can actually get you as a listener to respond. So there you go. That's my number, 310-634-1780. Shoot me a text message. I'd like to know if you're going to North America Smart Energy Week 2021 in New Orleans. I'm going to be there. So why don't you take this opportunity to text 310-634-1780 and let me know, Nico, I'm going. Or Nico, you're crazy. Why in the heck would I be in New Orleans? We're still in a pandemic. Either way, I love you and I hope to see you there. And I hope that you'll text me. That number, again, is right there in your podcast player description if you click on it. Hey, you're listening to Suncast, so I know that you are a thinker who likes to seek out the opinions of others to help inform and guide your own path. And as such, you probably like to debate or at least like to watch interesting debates. Did you miss out May 26th when we had our first session of the Great Debate Series 2021, The Road to New Orleans, that we're co-hosting with Solar Power Events and my friend Tor Solar Fred Valenza. If so, 
fear not. Just go to mysuncast.com forward slash debate. There you can watch a riveting debate that we had on the different types of solar financing and which is best for consumer and installer. PPA, PACE, loans, you be the judge. Also, join us for the next installments. We'll have one in June, another in July, August, and live in September. I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you will go to mysuncast.com forward slash debate and learn more about the upcoming debates. If you'd like to partner with us on producing the Great Debate series, please feel free to reach out. You've probably just heard the other information about how you could text me or you could email me nico at mysuncast.com dave is there any feasible path without nim not today no you need net metering to keep solar growing in the united states of america it's a and it's and just to be clear i want to be clear net metering is a simple transaction between the solar user and the utility the solar user is investing their own money to put solar panels on their roof reduce their footprint on the grid and make their own energy. And then when they ex when they export some surplus energy to their neighbors, they get compensated for that energy at the same rate as if they were paying for it. That's all it is. It's just a transaction, a common sense transaction. And in this country, net metering is the foundation of solar. It's why it's able to grow. It's why it's increasingly growing in working class and middle class neighborhoods. And it's the path to getting it in the hands of millions of working class neighborhoods. But Dave, there are other policies that, that work on behalf of uh, and advocate towards solar, uh, scaling solar across the United States and and, namely, and also in California. Why is NIM uh, such a powerful tool? It seems like it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's a powerful tool because it couples exactly the benefit that rooftop solar has on society with a simple transaction that happens every single time you give that benefit. It's, it's just really simple and mm. it's baked right into yeah. the way that everything works and the customer can understand it. And it's like literally right at the point of value. So it's incredibly unbureaucratic in that way. You put your solar system on your rooftop, the utility comes out and installs a bi-directional meter, right? Um, you start making your energy right away. Some of that goes out the meter right to your neighbors. Your neighbors use it right at that moment. Your utility gives you a credit that's exactly the price of the energy as if they were buying it. And then the utility at that exact same moment sells that energy to your neighbor at exactly that same price. It's simple. People understand it. Um, they can track it. And it puts the consumer in the driver's seat of transitioning ourselves to the clean energy economy without some massive government bureaucracy. Um, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful policy in that way. And it works. It like just totally works. I get that it's elegant and it works, but we've got examples in other parts of the world where we've reached grid parity and scaled solar without a policy like NIM in Chile. They don't have net energy metering as an example. In Australia, I'm not familiar. I don't think they do. What's the scenario where you just don't need net energy metering anymore and, and where, in, in which case this argument is null? Because as I think about policy, it, policy is always forwardly, forward looking anyway. So it seems to me on the cost curve that we're on, the kinds of policies that we should be targeting and making are those that are going to benefit us in five or 10 years, uh, because that's, that might be the path that we're on in terms of how quickly they get um, put into place. For me, looking out, we are going to be, we're going to be sort of on par with some of our international peers in terms of cost of solar. But I'll, I'll let you comment. Is there a scenario where we just don't need NEM anymore? There is. There's two things that have to be in place to do that. And Australia 
has that in place, which is why you it makes sense that you mention it. So the first thing that we have to do is get rid of the red tape that drives up the cost of permitting, inspecting, and interconnecting solar systems. In Australia, all the permitting and inspection is streamlined, one-stop shop. Um, here, depending on what town you live in, it could be really easy or it could be incredibly bureaucratic and time-consuming. So Australia, solar is a dollar a watt to install. And in this country, it's about $3 a watt to install. And much of that difference is precisely that bureaucracy. You'll hear installers call about, call it soft costs. And we're working on that. We have a bill in the legislature. We've been hammering away at that at the CPUC. Um, there's national work that's being done on this. Utilities fight it and municipalities fight it. But that's one thing. And, and we're going to do it. But that's one thing that has to happen. So that's the first thing. The second is you need everyone to have a battery, which is where we're headed to. I mean, in 10 years, if we do our job right, all the solar is going to be paired with a solar-powered battery. So when you make all that extra energy, instead of it going out the meter to the neighbors, it'll go into a battery that's in the garage or in the basement. And then at night, when the sun doesn't shine, you draw that energy from the battery. You could still have net metering under a battery situation, but it can be much more targeted, right? If there's a power outage or some demand response or something or other, you can stitch that together. But when you have those two scenarios, then yeah, net metering becomes less important. And that's precisely where we want to go. And the utilities know that's where we want to go. But what they want to do is cut it off right now. So we never get there. Before we go to the cut it off right now, I'm confused about something. So it seems to me like the utilities could easily point and say, what Dave's saying is a lie. Look, we've got the self-generation incentive program. Our entire, uh, like we, we're investing in putting batteries in every home. If in fact, we're doing this through the self-generation incentive plan, which a program, which is the incentive to do things like install, like subsidized batteries. Uh, how could you say that we are against deploying these resources? We just think that they're being deployed unfairly. What, what would be your response be to that? Well, if you were a utility, I would say, stop lying and tell the truth. You've been lobbying to kill <laughs> the self-generation incentive program ever since it was invented. You actually delayed it getting renewed for two years by stalling it in the legislature. You've gummed up its implementation at the CPUC by insisting that you be the ones that administer the actual rebates, which you've screwed up and made a proper bureaucratic mess which means the stuff doesn't go out the door. There's long lines. So no, you don't actually care about that. So stop good pretending money like you, you can do. get it, right? Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's good money if you can get it right. You've screwed it up at every stage of the process. And in any event, even if you hadn't, we're just not, it took seven years for the original um, solar incentive program in California to get solar from $40 a watt down to three or $4 a watt. Consistency is key. We learned this in Japan 20 years ago, we learned this in Japan, and we learned it here with with PV panels. And so the same kind of program that you're referencing in California has not had a chance to just do what it's supposed to do because utilities know what it'll do if it's allowed to be effective. Um, And so they've been trying to basically slice it up and do death by a thousand cuts. Now, nonetheless, we, we, we plow forward. And in fact, the net metering proceeding at the CPUC is an awesome opportunity to get the battery thing right. Because right now, if you have a battery, you're not allowed to export to the grid and get a credit for it. And there's an awesome story that Ivan Penn from the New York Times wrote back in August on how there was no system to do that when there was a massive round of power outages. And then the state's grid operators called up Bernadette Del Chiaro from the California Solar and Storage Association and begged her to call all the companies that were members and ask their customers to discharge their batteries to the grid manually through an emergency. And and so it's kind of like, we've been saying all along, set the system up to do that. And there was always resistance, 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 because the utilities know what that means. 
And so utilities have no interest in this stuff, but we do, but we need a glide path to get there. And it'll take about 10 years. And if we just do everything that we're saying we do, we will get to that point. And if we also cut the red tape at the municipal level and at the interconnection level, then you're going to see a situation where net metering becomes less critical. But if you do that any sooner than where we are at that point, you're just going to kill the market altogether and you're never going to get there. So the reason I reached out to you was because I saw so many times posted on, uh, I've moved out of California. I try to keep, keep track, but I saw a lot of postings, namely from our friends at Calsa, Carter, Carter Lavin is uh, namely, and, uh, and many members of Calsa referring to some political maneuvering legislation that's currently on the docket. Could you give us a sense of the, the current table stakes for net energy metering specifically to the legislation that uh, as industry participants, we should be following uh, the timeline and maybe some of the evolution of this conversation since the last time you and I spoke privately that we could share with the Suncast tribe. I think the easiest way to think about this is that there are two battlefronts this year in 2021 with respect to net energy metering. The first one is at the California Public Utilities Commission. So there is a proceeding underway that was launched late last year that will wrap up at the end of this year, where the CPUC is going to basically approve a a new net metering policy. Uh, We're calling it NEM3 because the current one is NEM2. The original one was NEM1, if you follow me. So there's the NEM3 proceeding at the CPUC. And that's been what's been, you know, that's been the main area of our focus um, and was at the time that you and I spoke about a month ago. Since then, the utilities have put a new battlefield in play, which is a piece of legislation, um, Assembly Bill 1139, that is would essentially do an end run around the CPUC proceeding. And in fact, would, would be even worse if it passed into law than what the utilities have proposed to the CPUC themselves. And that um, will, will run its course um, would, would, would run its course. We're trying to defeat it. So obviously we'd like to just end it right now, but the legislature will adjourn um, in uh, early September. So we, you know, we're now basically running two concurrent defense campaigns. One is making sure that, you know, we get things right at the CPUC and one is to defeat the utility backed legislation to just end run the CPUC and kill net metering that way. Which to be clear, it is called assembly bill. 1139 is the number. So two fronts with the CPUC and one at the California Assembly. Dave, where would I be able to find uh, information as a consumer to be able to A, lean in uh, and help, but B, just get informed about what's going on? So we've set up a website just specifically devoted to this issue. It's easy to remember. It's Save California Solar. And that's the URL, savecaliforniasolar.org. But if you don't remember that, just Google Save California Solar. And you've got the whole shebang, including how to get involved right there at your fingertips, including ways to contact us and contact me specifically if you want to just, you know, get under the hood and understand things better. Yeah. And tell me about the petition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the main petition is to the governor and the California Public Utilities Commission. We should talk about the governor at some point. And what it's basically, it's consumers putting an official comment on the record. It gives you a chance to put an official comment on the record, um, basically saying we should not be gutting net metering. We should instead be strengthening it and so that we can continue to keep rooftop solar growing. And our principles are keep it growing, 
So about 150,000 installations a year. Number two is make it more equitable. So get a greater portion of the people that are getting solar to be working class neighborhoods, working class folks, people who are on the care program. And then number three is get us to the point where batteries are standard with solar by 2030. And there's a bunch of ways that you can strengthen net metering to accomplish all three of those goals. And that's what the petition is essentially saying to both the governor and the CPUC. Very cool. I love how you couched it in terms of those principles. Keep it growing, make it equitable, put batteries on it. As we used to say, put solar on it, put batteries on it by 2030. Battery standard with every solar project. Well, Dave, as we bring it home here, can you help us just restate? I want to frame this in a way that uh, folks go away really understanding what's at stake and how the utilities specifically are attacking rooftop solar uh, so that when we see these messages in the public or when we hear them from our friends and, and neighbors, we are ready to, to speak truth into it. Right. So you've heard, this is what we want. This is our vision. Here's what the utilities are actually putting on the table. New monthly fixed charges for every solar user, both current and future, of we calculate on average $70 a month, number one. Number two, eviscerate the credit, the net metering credit that you get for the extra energy that you share with your neighbors from what it is now about the retail rate down to about five cents per kilowatt hour. Um, that's about an 80% reduction. There's other things too, but honestly, those two things alone just double the cost of rooftop solar. Um, and they, for if you're living in, if you're an apartment dweller that has solar through virtual net metering, or a low-income uh, person who has solar through a single-family home, these changes would actually put you underwater. You'd be end up paying more than if you didn't have solar. So that's what the utilities in practice are putting on the table. And obviously, our whole thing is going. Don't do that. Um, that's crazy. We should be making solar more affordable so that we can keep it growing. We should make it more equitable so people in working class communities can get it, so renters can get it. And we should give, be giving people more and more chances to get that battery so that they can store that extra energy at home so that they can use it at night when the sun goes down or when the power goes down. And by the way, we should stitch this all together into microgrids, virtual power plants, community solar. So these benefits accrue beyond the individual household or even the individual apartment building, but accrue to the entire community in a way that allows the community to come together um, and make their own clean energy, become more resilient and save money. David, I really appreciate you taking the time to enunciate all the ways that you know, this NIM battle, as we framed it, is important. The specific ways that language is being used for and against the argument to have net energy metering as a right for all solar users, not just in California, but across the land. Early in the conversation, you really well outlined why this matters as a potential waterfall effect that could have run-on effects across the United States if, if the utilities get their way in California. And I think it's important for the Suncast tribe to really understand uh, what's at stake and how each of us, uh, both Californian and non can uh, have a say and why we should be watching and why we should care about this. So thank you for educating us. And I'll have to have you back to talk more about your background and the Solar Rights Alliance, learn more about it. Nico, it's a total pleasure to come on your show. I want to thank you and thank all the listeners for everything that you do to bring this amazing technology to the people. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back anytime. David Rosenfeld is the executive director of the Solar Rights Alliance. 
And now you are more informed than you were before, my friend, about how net energy metering works and why we got to stay vigilant, my friends. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. And I hope that you do feel more informed. Uh, We call these Tactical Tuesdays. They used to be quite a bit shorter, uh, 15, 20 minute episodes. Uh, We increasingly are finding ourselves in conversations with subject matter experts where we have to lend a little more time uh, to the to the topic to really dig in and understand it. That's why you come here to Suncast and I appreciate it. If you've listened all the way through this episode and you like what you're hearing, or, or hey, c- candidly, if you don't like what you're hearing, I'd love your honest and fair review. If you would just click on uh, you know the podcast player that you're listening to, most of you are on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. Let others know what you think about the show. That's how we get discovered and that's how you can help us get discovered. So thank you for that. If you're going to be online, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with someone on LinkedIn. Tag me if you do that, please, because I'd love to know that you shared it. Thank you. It's a real treat. David and I both will appreciate it and give you a digital nod in the doing of that. And this is a story that needs to be retold. So I pray that you will, in fact, share this with your friend. And next week, I hope that you'll come back for another one of these Tactical Tuesdays. Hope you'll join us again on Thursday for a long form episode where we'll dive into the career, life, and times of uh, a climate tech ambassador, uh, a CEO, an executive that is in this fight with us. And we'll have David back for one of those types of episodes here very soon. So hopefully you'll stay tuned and you'll subscribe. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. I'm sure you appreciate it. You can learn more about who they are and how you could partner with thousands of Suncast listeners every week at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. Mm -hmm.